where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I'm Laura. I'm Michael, and I'm back. And yeah. I'm Spencer. And don't cheer for him. <laughs> it is our anniversary. Why is Superman One... our anniversary song? Because uh, it's also Superman's anniversary. It is. Um, oh, it is? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. I just Happy saw anniversary, that today. Superman. Yeah. yeah, and James Gunn finished the uh, script for his Superman film today as well. That Beautiful. is apropos because we're going to talk about Mr. James Gunn later in this episode. Yes, we will. Because again, it is our anniversary, and to celebrate, we are going to talk about the real-world implications of fan theories. A little bit about you know why we started doing this in the first place. You know, we we like fan theories with the creativity of of how fans feel in the gaps and that kind of thing. Um, I guess you just, could say we are. This podcast is a real-world implication. The podcast go. was yeah. made because people make fan theories. All right, that's good. <laughs> See point. you guys in the next episode. We did it. Yay. <laughs> um, no, Happy anniversary. We're going to take a look at some good, uh, good, bad, and maybe a bit in the middle uh, examples of how fan theories have actually played a role in um, impacting pop culture actually movies and tv shows and, and how they've shaped those things uh for better or for worse and then after that we're going to do a little bit of a recap we're going to list our top three each of us top three theories that we covered over the last year um that one might say had a real world impact in each of our individual lives right i guess yes sure if you want to have <laughs> A real world impact on our lives you can become a patron at patreon.com slash fan theory cues and be part of our patreon or our discord server where we talk about all kinds of things like pickles and intermissions <laughs> <laughs> or hey this also helps us out if you don't want to give us money i understand even though we're here we've been here for a year we've proven our staying power um you can uh, leave us a review leave us a review please uh, those super those are super helpful as well but how about we get into the show if you have no objections? None. None here. Okay. What I like to do is start with like a negative and kind of set things up as, oh, this is sad, but no, come back and like triumphantly return. So I'm going to start off with Lost. It's <laughs> kind of a funny transition. Aww. Uh No, I'm a Lost fan, or was. I watched it. You in were real... a huge yeah. Lost fanboy. I obsessed over it, lost, uh, watched it in real time. I read fan theories. I theorized myself. And so we this is. We had a Lost encyclopedia, right? We did. It was hardcover, beautiful book. It's gone now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it so, outlived its usefulness. But it is a fantastic case study in. Um, fan theories, as we'll see, and the impact they had on the show and the showrunners. So let's start with this article that I found. It is called, Lost Co-Creator Shares His Frustration with Fan Theories. And this article is from Screen Rant. I came across this over the summer and saved it for uh, such a time as this. And so it starts off with this great point. Indeed, Lost set the template for a certain kind of TV show that depends on what co-creator J.J. Abrams has termed the mystery box storytelling approach. By the way, I love that kind of show. Me too. So I guess that's why I like fan theories. 
Um, but then this is another uh, you know, caveat of that. But of course, with the mystery box comes an inevitable barrage of fan theories as the audience tries to guess which crazy direction the show will go next. Mm. And with such widespread theorizing, sometimes comes disappointment as a show like Lost doesn't always chart the course fans are hoping for. So we've seen that, right? Where there may be a fan theory and the the um, the motivation behind that theory is to lead the show in a direction that you want it to go. Uh, or like you hope that it goes, or wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And oftentimes, you, you can't make everybody happy, right? right. <laughs> you certainly can't. That's true. <laughs> wait, wait, what is that? I don't understand the context of this. Oh, burn. Uh, burn. Okay, anyway, I'll move on. <laughs> so this is a quote from uh, Lost co-creator Damon Lindelof. One of the things that I was fascinated by was that one of the two questions that we got asked most often was, are you making it up as you go along? And the fans wanted the answer to question and the fans wanted the answer to that question to be, absolutely not. We have a plan. We are executing that plan and understanding that not everything is going to work, but we're sticking to the plan. The second question that they asked most often was, what input do we have as fans? Here's the thing. They want the answer to be, we listen to everything that you say, and it affects the outcome of what we write. But then that would suggest that we don't have a plan, and everything that we're doing is like the band that finishes a song and asks, what do you want us to play next? But we have a set list, so you can't win. So what do y'all think about that? Of you know these fans kind of wanting to have it both ways, like they want the sh the show to have like a definitive plot line that they're trying to follow, so that they're not making up as they go along. But they also kind of want to have input based on their reactions to what's happening, um, and their fan theories to kind of play a role in the show's progression. So my opinion on this, uh, which is a strong one, um, I... We expect nothing less from you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I've been preparing for this moment my whole life. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that... Um, I think that, in, like I said, in my opinion, in order to be a good writer, you should be adaptable. But... That's not saying they have to base everything off of fan theories. I think what should happen is they need to come up with their own story, their own unique tale and through line, and just pay attention to what the fans are saying, what the buzz is about, and what people are suggesting. And if it's something that works well with their story or is maybe a better idea than perhaps they even thought of originally, then... I think they should be able to find a way to kind of work that in or take that uh, veer off into that direction. And that way, not only are they creating the best possible story that they can, but it's also giving the fans a little bit of like pay payoff. Like, like this is, this is what fans are really itching for. This is what a lot of people on the internet are, are saying that they hope happens or they think is going to happen. And for me, I'm the kind of person that I, I have theories about basically every show that I watch. And for me, whenever I'm able to figure out what's going to happen or if a theory that I come up with comes to fruition, um, side note, I've predicted what's been happening on Mandalorian this whole season. Um, I, I, it's, it's such a good feeling for me as a fan, and it makes me so much more invested in the show. 
I I mm. get so much more into the show whenever it's whenever things that I think are going to be cool or it would be cool if that would happen actually happens. Then it's like, oh, that's it's amazing. Like to me, that's like the ultimate payoff. And so, yeah, I I don't think that they need to do that every single time. And it depends show to show. But there are some shows that it's very easy for them to, like I said, pay attention to what the fans are saying and and predicting and stuff, and maybe incorporate some of that into their original idea. Laura, I'm going to come to you for your response, but I do have a follow-up question, Michael. Yes. Um, so you don't feel like that makes the show predictable then? Or if it is, you if it's predictable, you don't see that as a negative? Well, for me, I have consumed Wait, so Wait, say much. that as a question, Spencer, because you said you had a follow-up question. Oh, um, follow-up thing for you to respond to. No, aw, I wanted you to just give it the upward inflection at the end. I don't oh, remember well. what I said. <laughs> you don't see that as a negative? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Sorry, go what, ahead, Michael. Sorry, what, what was it that you said again? I lost my train of thought. Well, so you said like you've pretty much kind of been able to guess what was going to happen for this season of The Mandalorian. And and I to me, that sounds like the show is predictable and not exciting. But to you, from what I'm gathering, is that that's more exciting to you and you don't see that as a negative. Okay, yes. So I that is exactly how I see it. I've always, like, I consume so much media i've consumed so much media throughout my entire life that when you have watched as many things as i have you start to see that a lot of most things are just repeats or reworkings or just the same thing in a new skin of things that have come in the past it's just we're at the point now where everything is going to be influenced by something and so i can see these three lines and i'm i'm very good at picking out things like that and and for me i i love things like sherlock holmes poro all, all that stuff and i i love the those characters because they're so good at figuring out the answer to things and so for me it makes me feel a little bit it's kind of a fantasy type thing it makes me feel a little bit like those characters whenever i'm able to figure out the plot line of of a show or a movie before long before anybody else has figured it out and honestly <laughs> that's that's a game that's a game that uh my siblings and i used to play mm -hmm. when we were younger we would watch things and we would try to be the first one to figure out what was going to happen by the end of the movie and so for me that's just that's just fun it it, it really is a lot of fun to me it doesn't come back to predictability mm -hmm. because it's like i still get the the thrill of what happens it's just that I got it a little bit sooner than everybody else. Interesting. Because if that, I mean, it's just a different way of looking at things. Because I guess I, I have to have that element of surprise, especially if that's what the show is like founded on. And yeah. if I kind of, if I started to call everything, sure, there's still like the interest of watching it pay out. But it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I already know what's going to happen. So why bother? But anyway, yeah, and see, I, I hate surprises. That's I my love thing. surprise. Okay. Well, then I don't know why you're on this show. Laura, um, <laughs> I just surprised you. You didn't know I was going to say that, did you? Oh, <laughs> I knew. Okay. So, Laura, I would like to ask your side of that whole thing. What are your thoughts on fan theory input? And should shows listen to it? Or should they have a plan all along and not listen to it? It's funny you, you'd say that about uh, being surprised by, by something as opposed to... Because the source material for this section of the... Or this article is 
lost. Yeah. That for the most part, no one was able to predict. Which is why I hated the show. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you like it. So that's why you're a big Marvel movie fanboy, right? Because it's so predictable. I'm also equally as much a DC fanboy. So (laughs) okay, so that's that's a different thing, though, right? Because Marvel and DC, those are coming from a source material that's been around for a very long time, and Lost was an original creation, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, they're they're different genres. That's which, true. Uh, which makes this all very fascinating, um, mm-hmm. and I, I can understand why there are articles written about uh, written about this. And I'm sure there might even be like some upcoming, uh, who knows, maybe psychological studies or whatnot. Maybe they're looking at like a ten or. 15 or 20 year span here. So it might be a little while till we see something, but I really think there is something to be said about that, like that gratification you talked about, Michael, of being Mm -hmm. able to predict it or adversely, like Spencer says, the gratification of, you know, that kind of feeling of when you're going down a roller coaster of not knowing what's coming next, the way your stomach just kind of floats up into your mm. chest, like that, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I never would have predicted that. Uh, that kind of feeling excites some people where it doesn't excite some people. I think that's very interesting. So that could be something we could be finding out more about in the future. And I think that's all tied to the idea of fan theories, of uh, being able to see a story because you know they say there's nothing new under the sun um but to some people i disagree there is Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, to some people there is new stuff uh also i will say i just i i don't want it to degrade the uh quality and the art of the writer that they're having to go and mine ideas from fans Mm -hmm. i feel like when you when you set out to tell a story, you should have a purpose. And when we make our art um, as a fellow, like as an actor, as an artist as well, I should be doing this stuff because I like it. And this is the story that I have to tell. Yeah. Not because I'm trying to make money from people. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of the issue with some of these bigger titles is that it's kind of driven by corporate greed at the, at the end of the day. We know that. And uh we have to recognize that and appreciate it for what it is because that's how we get all these really cool, awesome effects and these great uh, A-list actors is because of the money. And the money comes from so many people wanting to digest this super simple, predictable storyline sometimes. And sometimes there is a different audience who is so much more appreciative of the surprise elements mm-hmm. of, I never saw that coming. You know, that was, I feel like, for our generation, it was such a groundbreaking thing, the sixth sense, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. was huge. The plot twist, you know. Exactly. And uh, I love plot twists. No one could have predicted that. And, and like, we liked, oh, what was the recent, the German show that we watched dark. on Netflix? Well, no, the one oh, that was dark. only 1899. one season. 1899. Oh, so good. So many twists and turns. At the end of the episode, there would be an extra each episode in the last 20 seconds there'd be an extra twist thrown mm-hmm. in that we would be going as the credits were rolling we'd be going what did what just happened we i don't love even, it that kind of thing it's it's very fascinating so i will say i mean mm. i can see where they're coming from of wanting to keep audiences invested and and give that viewer gratification mm-hmm. but at the same 
time, I really want to see originality of story and mm. and art. And so it's it's a I guess I'm in the middle between the two mm. of you on well, this well, one. So I'll, I'll give my my thoughts and we'll move on. Um, I think that you know when a show is pitched, it's pitched for what the show is, not based on what the audience is going to try to convert it into. And so I will have the tendency to trust the show creators and the writers to tell the story because, I mean, I don't expect them to listen to me. And I, and I know that people who write theories aren't necessarily expecting uh, the showrunners to let them influence that. Um, I, think, I think fan input is important when it comes to things like characters and relationships. Like, oh, well, this character is actually a breakout character, so we're going to feature them more. Or like people don't like it that these couples are together or these two people are together as a couple, so maybe we should end that storyline. And I'm learning that a lot by listening to this behind the scenes of Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls is a great show, um, animated show, and um, they talk a lot about how they try to in in put these Easter eggs and like fans would either find them super easy or like predicted the sh where the show is going before the um, the writers even even began to insert little clues to where it was going but they still did it told the story they wanted to anyway you know because i mean it was only two seasons but they did listen to things like okay they were like this character so we're going to do that or they got bored of this particular story arc so like that kind of thing i'm fine with but when it comes to like you kind of like you said laura like looking for plot points and you know to guide your story that kind of thing um there is a balance between the two um but if if I were to if you were to say hey pick a side I would definitely uh, rule in favor of hey let the showrunners the writers the creators tell the story that we fell in love with from the beginning and trust them to finish it um, because we there's a reason why we like it to begin with okay um, just can I quick, say can I add, add one clarification to what uh, I said really quickly maybe. please what <laughs> tell me what it is and then I'll let, let you know if we're, we're going to keep it or not. I, I just want it to be clear that I don't think that everything should be predictable. I think that it should still be like the surprises and stuff should still be there. But I am saying that I enjoy like being able to figure out what those surprises are based off of different notes and, and beats and stuff in that story up to that point. Yeah, I, I, out, it's it, to me it's like a, it's like solving a mystery. So I in guess that my case, question then better. is, what is your definition of predictability? predictability. Whatever happened to? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's been in my head ever since the first time you said the word. Uh, but you never watched that show, so I don't know why you know that what? song. What? <laughs> that's from Full House. I watched Full yeah. House. Oh, sorry, I got confused with Family Matters. Yeah, sit down. <laughs> I am. <laughs> For me. Predictability, just strict predictability, is it's very clear to everyone. Doesn't matter how how into the story or, or not you are from the very beginning. It's very clear this is how it's going to happen. It's like like uh, history almost, like covering a World War II documentary or something like that. We know how that turned out. That's predictable. I'm saying. I like it whenever I can see I can basically it's like I'm getting into the mind of the writers and I can figure out how they are thinking so I can figure out where they're going to guide the story. Hmm. That's that's what I enjoy about it. 
So it's not necessarily predictable for everyone. I the reason why it's it's fun for me is because it, like I said before it makes me feel like I'm on the same level as like the Sherlock's or the Poirot's or, or any other insert uh, famous detective here just cuz I've Columbo. always Yeah, exactly. Batman. Pink Panther, you know. Who's <laughs> so? Um, I it just it just to me it makes me feel like I can hang with them. Uh, it's just a personal. It's it's gonna sound arrogant, but it just makes me feel really smart mm-hmm. whenever you I'm like able to, to use your to, little gray cells. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like I, I I mean again I want to move on, but yeah. like, if if they're intentionally planting little hints and you know clues and that kind of thing for like really dedicated fans to follow, that's one thing I think you know, and yeah. maybe more along the lines of what you're talking about. But when it's just straight up like. Oh, I saw that coming. Like, I mean, I while I enjoyed Glass Onion, uh, the Knives Out, like I pretty much knew from the start who exactly. the murderer was going to be. There's yeah. still some twists and turns, but it was pretty obvious. Um, okay, so just to wrap up that article real quick. Um, so we heard the quote about what Lindelof said. He admits that sometimes fear he sometimes feared fans would hate the show over some of the writing decisions that were made. Indeed, hate is a word that can readily be applied when discussing fan reaction to later seasons of Lost, particularly season six when the show attempted and some would argue failed miserably to wrap up its ongoing mysteries. I'm indifferent on that. Of course, the argument can be made that Lost was always set up to disappoint fans given the very way it operated. So this is, I mean, this, this is critical right here. Obviously, when something is deliberately mysterious, fans are going to try and guess how it will play out. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And when folks become deeply invested in the characters involved in that mystery, they will be disappointed and even angry when some of those characters don't receive the resolution they're hoping for. I get that. Yeah. At the end of the day, the show provided entertainment for many people for many years, and Lindelof and company can certainly be proud of that fact, even if the show's story ultimately didn't play out exactly as all fans hoped. Can I say something? Yes, you may. I'm done. Okay. So maybe it's just the author of this article. Mm -hmm. There's just something that's rubbing me the wrong way, and it's the fact that right there at the end where it was talking about people feeling angry at the end, Mm -hmm. um, that very well could have been a desire of the writers. Like, this... That's what all of this is meant to do. It's meant to make you feel something. Mm-hmm. It's meant to get people in, invested, involved, and in touch with their feelings, whatever they are. Not everything has to be a feel-good feeling. We know that there are some movies out there that are sad and depressing to watch, but people really still like to watch them because it's very important and healthy to get in touch mm-hmm. with those feelings. Same for those love movies same for the funny movies same for the scary movies like that's it's Mm -hmm. important and healthy to get in touch with those feelings and it needs to be the same thing with anger too in the way this article is written i'm just gonna say maybe it's just screen rant that they made it sound like it was a negative and a bad thing and that lost has a bad connotation to it because people came away from it feeling angry but what if that was the desire what was what if that was the purpose was people need to need to feel this and mm. learn to be in touch with that and learn to live with having anger inside of them and still being a functioning part of society. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, um, especially with coming from your perspective. Um, two things, I did abbreviate the stuff that I cut out of this article, so you don't have the full context. You abbreviated the stuff <laughs> you cut out. Yes. Good. <laughs> um, 
Secondly, I can 100% guarantee you that the writers did not intend for the viewers to feel angry by the end of the show. Um, so, how? How do, how do you know that? Because of the way the show ended. It was supposed to be a very happy, sure, we lost some along the way. Sure, you may have been angry at a certain point when something happened. I know I was. But at the end of the day, the characters, most of the characters, um, you know, as in one way or another, their arcs are resolved and there's this resolution that I know the intent was to satisfy as many fans as possible, not to anger them. I think also just really quickly and then we can move on. Okay. Uh, it It's also a matter of perspective because for, for me, my perspective, I, I, I see so much of the, like the anger, the sadness, and all of those feelings in the real world that for me, I, I go to movies and TV shows to escape that, to, to experience the, the happy feelings, the joy, the, the comedy, the fun stuff. And so I, that's the reason why I personally don't really care for movies that end on a sad note or make me ang angry at the end and don't have some sort of resolution. I like to see that because I know that's not something we're always going to get in reality. Mm. And so I like to just kind of shut my brain off for a bit and that's escape why you like into this. Multiverse of Madness. I did like Multiverse of Madness. Because you shut your brain off. I, I shut my brain off for every movie so that I can <laughs> really like immerse myself into that environment. Mm. Yeah. I, I like whenever I experience a film or a TV show, the world around me disappears. I am in that setting, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And I am feeling what those characters are feeling. And so uh, to me, I just really like the happy stuff or the things that have a, a positive resolution. Even if, even if there are some sad moments throughout the story, that's fine. Like I, I love Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of sad stuff in Lord of the Rings, but I like things to be wrapped up in a positive manner where even though, like you said before, we lost a, f a few people along the way, there's, in the end, good one. And so that's that's just my mm. opinion. Okay. okay. But I, I do see the other side of it. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that's, that's how I personally feel. Cool. Which is why you are bringing the next piece of this puzzle. Please, yes. Michael, take the positive side of fan theories. All right. So this one... Um, this one is actually um, involving James Gunn, who's kind of a hot topic these days. Um, in a, in an article from ScreenGeek.net. And back um, when he was working for Marvel. Yeah, he was still deep in, in Guardians at this he's point. He's still working for Marvel, technically. Well, I bet he's still taking those checks. Am yep. I oh, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, can you blame you him? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I cannot. <laughs> I mean, if he wants to send some our way, then he's more than welcome. Uh, boop, boop. Yep, yep, he can join our Patreon. Mm. Um, so the, anyway, the article is called James Gunn Confirms Marvel Fan Theory Inspired One of the Best MCU Scenes. And in this article, it basically says, revealed on Twitter, uh, director and writer James Gunn of the Guardians of the Galaxy films and many more, um, let it be known that a fan theory led to one of the late great Stan Lee's greatest cameos. In Guardians Aww. of the Galaxy Volume 2, Stanley is seen discussing his many cameos with the Watchers. 
It showcases that his multiple appearances throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe were not just random, but rather as an emissary of the Watchers, a near-omnipotent hmm. species of ancient aliens whose sole responsibility is to watch all of the acts of the universe and to log every event in their memory without interference. I do not remember this at all. Do you, Lara? I don't remember him talking to any Watchers. I don't even remember Stan Lee. Well, yeah, me, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, okay, I'll admit, the time that I watched it, I think we rented it, and I... We had, just checked out. I was very sick and had a fever, so there's oh. <laughs> no way I remember much other than... That's fair. That's really weird that Ego is a planet and yeah, walking around as a person. Like, that's really this. all I can remember. <laughs> yeah, so as, as somebody who's, as you said before, deeply invested in the Marvel Universe... I didn't really like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I, I didn't like a lot of the story. In fact, it's one of my least favorite Marvel movies. But this this cameo from Stan Lee is, in my opinion, the best part of the movie. Because, it, like it said before, it, it kind of explains his appearance in all of the other Marvel movies. You don't need um, an explanation. But anyway, go ahead. Some people like explanations. But uh, it continues and says... Um, uh, and Gunn used this cameo thanks to a fan theory on the subject. So here's here's a tweet that James Gunn uh, posted on July 2nd of 2020. He says, Sometimes, sure. For instance, Stanley's connection to the Watchers in Volume 2 was definitely inspired by fan theories. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, the article continues. It says, and, not only, uh, and it's not only Gunn who loved the theory. Back in 2017, Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige shared his love for the theory as well. He said in an interview, "Yes, we always thought uh, thought it would be fun. Uh, Stanley clearly exists, you know, above and apart from the reality of all the films. So the notion that he could be sitting there on a cosmic pit stop during the jump gate sequence in Guardians was something very fun. <laughs> James Gunn had the idea, or had that idea, and we shot that cameo and loved it so much. You know, you see it a couple of times in the movie." We thought it would be fun to put that in there because it really says, so wait a minute, he he's this same character who's popped up in all these films. And that's kind of where the article ends. Was but, yeah. Guardians 2 really that old back in 2017? Yeah. Yes. Um, wow. I think, I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think the first Guardians movie was like 2013, 14, 14 something like that. Yeah. 14 sounds right. Okay. Let, let me think, because it would have... Well, we'll talk about it later, Spencer. Mm. But yeah, 2017 sounds right to me. Yeah. Mm. So, so what What are y'all's perspectives on this side of fan theories? I'll let you go first, Spencer. This kind of little minute thing is, is kind of what we would probably categorize as fan service, right? But not like egregious of like, this doesn't impact the overall plot of the movie or trajectory of the series really it's just a fun little easter egg kind of thing and in this instance i think it's it's great you know james gunn had the story he wanted to tell with this movie and he enhanced it with this suggestion from a fan theory and i think that that right there might be one of the only if not few instances where i think it's cool for writers and, and producers and whatnot to, you know, really go all in on some of these fan theories. Okay, can you, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit lost there. Explain more. Are you talking about not, you said not going in, not going all in? Yeah, so like this, this, this is a pretty, this is a pretty innocent little 
change to the script, right? This doesn't change James Gunn's original vision to his story he was wanting to tell with, um, you know, the Watcher, or not, sorry, with the Guardians of the Galaxy. It also doesn't like, he's not retroactively changing things in response to a fan theory, right? He's not like, oh, well, they figured it out, so we've got to do something else, or fans, you know, whatever. This is just simply, like I said, to enhance just what's happening in the film. This is a little Easter egg, and, and those kinds of things that I'm I'm in favor of, as long as the directors are still sticking with the original, or writers, whoever, are still sticking okay. with the original story they're trying to tell. Okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, this, this well, the fan theory itself is innocuous enough, right? Right. Of, mm -hmm. We all knew throughout the entirety of the uh, MCU when Stan Lee, RIP, was still alive, his bits were never meant to influence the storyline at all. It was, it was simply beginning, gosh, was it beginning back Iron with... Man. Uh, no, it was beginning back with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies that he was oh. appearing in those. And it was simply just his chance to be recognized mm -hmm. on, yeah. on screen. Mm -hmm. It was never influential in the story itself. So this fan theory itself is an innocuous one that they were able to pick and go, this isn't going to change our story. And right. I totally, I agree with you. Yes, this isn't, this is the kind of fan service that um, is... I, in my opinion, okay, in that the whole reason we're trusting the studio and we're trusting these professionals is to be able to write a good, compelling story that does justice to the source material. Mm -hmm. Don't leave it in the hands of these fans who are not the professionals, right? right? Uh, so I think they they you need to cherry pick when it mm -hmm. comes to what you're going to nod and wink to. And I think this was the perfect thing was Stan Lee's cameo. How right. are we going to stick him in there? Somebody else had an idea. Let's do that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, exactly. that's, that's totally fine. If a writer is having to go and glean ideas from internet message boards, it's a little bit lazy and you never want to detract from the talent of a writer. But when it comes to this kind of thing, it's not the story it's just this little throwaway bit i think that's totally fine it's and it's honestly almost equivalent to before we had like internet message boards and stuff to um maybe like a i i, I don't want it to sound too debbie downer but just like maybe if there was a make-a-wish kid who walked on set uh, as part of their make-a-wish and they were there today the day they were filming and somebody said hey let's throw them in a scene let's give them a line it's not anything that's going to influence the story but it's their moment to shine that's kind of what stan lee's bits were it was just his moment to shine and it was nothing mm -hmm. to influence the story and so they just let the that was just okay i'm talking in a circle here i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna be quiet now <laughs> yeah i think um i i agree with both of you on on this point for the most part um and for me the the thing that makes this so good is that James Gunn is a good writer. Mm -hmm. And yes. so I trust him. Like, yeah, uh, there, there, there are writers that I trust them to come, come up with completely original stuff from the very beginning. And I know it's going to be good. It, it's just that those, those are writers that 
already are in touch with the fan base and understand what fans enjoy. And so they know like how, like I said, how to write good material. And then you, you get people like, I basically you get the, the sequel star Wars films where they didn't listen to, to the fan base at all. They were completely out of touch with the majority fan base of the star Wars films, prequels and original trilogy. And you get these movies that just are so discombobulated, don't connect very well and completely change the entire dynamic of the star Wars universe. And they already had excellent writers who wrote these amazing books like Timothy's on. He is one of the greatest authors, especially when it comes to star Wars. Uh, Can I I ask you a question? Yes. Who wrote A New Hope? Who wrote A New Hope? Yeah. That was, I believe, George Lucas, and, and uh, I think his wife actually helped write it okay, at the who, time. Who wrote the uh, prequels? George Lucas. Okay. So my point is, I'm not 100% uh, convinced that it was uh, a matter of them not being in touch with the fans, because the fans can also be um, very... You know, um, you know, with, with the wind or whatever. Fickle. Like, yeah, because at this point, if we're basing all of our our decisions and and opinions based on how great the original trilogy was, yes, there are books, but the vast majority of people that go see I I will put money on the vast majority of people that go see Star Wars movies do not see the books or read the books, and maybe not vast majority, but majority, and so like at this point the additional supplemental visual media that we have for Star Wars far outnumbers the original trilogy. So like, especially for newer generations, like the new movies are their Star Wars and they're comparing it. All of that to say, it's like, I don't know where the fault lies other than, you know, maybe there's some, a bit of nostalgia bias of, I love these movies. So really when you break it down, I don't, I don't want to get into that. But I mean, there's not. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also not like ready to completely say that. Oh well, they just didn't listen to the fans and what the fans liked about the original trilogy. Well, I I am not even 100 percent percent saying that it's it's entirely the fans with what they should have done with the sequels. I'm saying that there was already excellent stories written that had no influence from fans by like I said like I was saying author Timothy's on and they they decided that they were just going to throw all of that out and come up with something completely uh air quotes unique and original and force force awakens is basically a rehash of a new hope in, in a lot of ways and then it introduces a lot of characters and takes a lot of uh, characters that had already been established to be a certain way and turns them on their heads in a way that most people didn't receive very well. Yes, there were some that, that liked what they did. Good good for you, but <laughs> I'm just saying that it you don't always have to be influenced by the fans. Just understand what a good majority of the fans are going to enjoy. Okay. All right. Um, all right, are we ready to move on to yes. the uh, middle ground here? I am. Laura, you good? Mm-hmm. All right, so this article um, is my favorite out of all of these. 
This is called The Powerful Unlikely Force Shaping Modern TV. This is from The Atlantic, which um, I had to sign up for a trial to actually read the entire article. Uh, I did put a <laughs> reminder to cancel it. Otherwise, <laughs> in 30 days, I'll be charged $80 for a year. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yes. Thanks, The Atlantic. Mm. These are the things we do for our pay for right. our listeners and uh, to help support us in case that $80, charge, $80 charge goes through. Be sure to go and pledge to be a patron. Yes, <laughs> yes, please. So the um, the main focus of this article actually starts with Dan Erickson, who is the creator of a fantastic show called Severance. Uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, mm. I highly recommend it if you love this, these mystery box style TV shows. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Dan Erickson witnessed the level of theorizing firsthand. He admitted that he visited the Severance subreddit quite a bit while the first season aired, but seeing viewers correctly guess a character's true identity much earlier than expected made him nervous. They'd gone off a single line of dialogue he'd thought insignificant at the time. So for season two, he's been reconsidering how to dole out such details. Hmm. He's quoted as saying, Now I think we probably would not include that line, Eric said. Erickson said, or we would make it a half step more obscure. Yes, good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh this this is this article really does a great job of summarizing these discussions that we've been having. So storytelling has always been a dance between the creators and the audience. Plots turn and twist, steering expectations and swaying emotions. But as filmed entertainment has grown on a near exponential scale, encompassing interconnected franchises and expanding onto more platforms than ever before, audiences have begun to more actively engage with what they watch. They analyze, turning ambiguity into clarity, forging connections with fellow fans. As a result, storytellers have to do more than spin a satisfying yarn. They must contend with fans who are so involved, they're practically racing them to the finish line. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah. For TV shows in particular, the most passionate viewers have become a part of the writer's room. Not physically, of course, but as a looming presence, at least in the minds of those shaping seasons worth a plot. Um, so there's another example. I haven't watched this show, but maybe we need to look at it. I want to watch this. So take Yellow Jackets, for instance, like Severance, the Showtime series about a high school girl's soccer team that gets stranded in the Canadian wilderness, has attracted a dedicated fan base of theorists thanks to a complex plot. Jonathan Lisko, a co-showrunner, told the author that these theories have become an inevitable discussion topic in the writer's room. Sometimes they help stress test potential material. If a significant majority of the audience is into a certain theory, we, quote, have to kick the tires on it, he said. Usually, though, fan input lingers in the back of the writer's minds like a sixth sense. They're always aware that their behind-the-scenes work will be hyper-examined on screen. Mm -hmm. Quoted, uh, he said, with so many smart viewers out there, ev eventually people are going to hit upon things that were noodling in the in the noodling in the writer's room and that's a cross-pollinating delight he said but it can also be really a mess which sounds like it like i can't imagine like feeling like you've got this really great secret this twist of a turn in a show that you're building up to and one day you're on the internet and someone has already figured it out like mm -hmm. how gut-wrenching that would be right um, all right, so we have this little bit of a shift here, though. That attitude appears to be changing. Some shows deliberately court fan scrutiny. On the after party, the Apple TV Plus Who Done It, the creator Chris Miller told me that the writing team leaves little gift baskets in every episode, Easter eggs that reward eagle-eyed viewers with a clue to the killer's identity. 
It's exciting to be living in the world that we're living in now where people can watch and rewatch and freeze frame, he told me. Laura, here's ours. Or Michael, you like this show too. Oh yeah, on, I love this one. On Only Murders in the Building, Hulu's similarly com comedic murder mystery, every installment's opening credits offer a hint of the story to come. What? John mm -hmm. Hoffman, a co-creator of Only Murders, told me that he giddily followed online fan reactions while the first season aired, eager to see if viewers became sleuths themselves. I was like, look at these fabulous theories we didn't put in our show, he recalled. They're terrific. While writing season two, Hoffman felt energized by the knowledge that the show had such fervent fans. You're constantly checking yourself to say, if we do this here, what signal are we sending? He said, that's the discussion 90% of the time in the writer's room, which is fantastic. Wow. For me, that sounds exhausting. Yes. If we say, but instead of and, what signal are we sending? Oh, you know? gosh. Wow. <laughs> which, I mean, but if you think about it, like that really does like cause them to really focus on the word choice oh, on yeah. a minute See, level. For me, that's just how my brain works on a daily basis with that every interaction exhausting. I have. It is exhausting, but I've, I've learned to live with it over the years. But that's just like, so to me, that doesn't seem like as much of a crazy thing mm -hmm. as it may to a lot of other people, just because mm -hmm. I, I know that my crazy brain works in that way. Gotcha. Uh, all right, almost done here. That understanding, he said, seems to have led the relationship between writers and fans to a more mutually beneficial place in which writers can appreciate the effort that goes into fan input rather than fear what they produce. But coming up with theories on the internet isn't the same as outlining a season's worth of plot in the writer's room. So no true. Amount of, no amount of detective work will place a viewer directly inside a writer's head. Michael, no amount of soaking up <laughs> fan commentary will ensure positive... accepted. No amount of soaking up fan commentary will ensure positive feedback in the future. Uh, so this is important here. As much as the Yellow Jackets team enjoys reading theories, Lisko explained, we can't be overly influenced by them, lest we lose track of the primary story that we want to tell. Preach what it. We're what we're really trying to do is surprise the audience in its emotional jugular. Yeah. Not, not necessarily on a concrete plot level. Yes. I love it. Yes, me too. That's why I highlighted it. Uh, all right, last thing. Last, lately, when Erickson, again, the creator of Severance, feels stuck trying to do that for the second season of Severance, uh, feels, stuck, uh, feels stuck when working on the second season of Severance, he spends five minutes writing down, quote, the craziest stuff I can think of, he said. Forget tone or story goals. He just takes the biggest swing possible with his characters and sees what sparks. I love that. That's amazing <laughs> and scary. Yeah. In some ways, Erickson is doing what most fan theorists do, taking a tail's bare bones and constructing a new skeleton, warming up the imagination in the process, which is true. We have seen some very crazy things. Um, yes. Uh, and the strategy, he told me, tends to work. Quote, you have to be willing to embrace that madness, Erickson said. It's certainly better than dwelling on anxiety daydreams, which is what he was experiencing, worrying about fan theories, you know, figuring things out with the show and that kind of thing. Um, so I love that. You know, it kind of gives room for both there as long as, like we emphasized, um, they don't lose track of the primary story that they want to tell. Mm-hmm. That's that's fascinating of the whole just swinging for the fences mm -hmm. idea. Because how many times on this podcast have we read some that we're like, I can't believe 
It's, and it's either sounded like this, and this is going to be actress Laura coming out. I can't believe they thought of this. Or mm -hmm. I can't believe they thought of this. Their mind went that place. <laughs> yes. So many times we've done that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just a very fascinating thing I never considered of even it's it's almost like and I wonder if writers could see fan theories as a challenge of outdoing them mm -hmm. because yeah. well, the fan theorists they have no power over it. it's the writers who do so the writers mm -hmm. in the end are the ones who are going oh you think that's crazy here right. I'm about to show you crazy so it's this escalation thing we've got yeah, going on. Yeah, I wonder it's if like that Sherlock could be Sherlock versus it. Moriarty. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Good job, yeah, Michael. Yep. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I do think that it would be, I don't know how they would accomplish this, but I think it would be an interesting experiment to create a show that is entirely influenced on, on fan theories and, and ideas. I think that internet. was called The Truman Show. No, it's, it's called The MCU. <laughs> No. <laughs> Nobody predicted. Never mind. All right, let's Black don't Adam. Kick, let's don't kick someone <laughs> while they're down. Hey, I've I'm never been on record with praising the DCEU. So, uh, all right. So, I have been record of kicking the MCU, though. Do we have anything else to add? I feel like that article kind of, and like all of our discussions kind of wrapped them up a little bit. Um, I agree. Michael, do you have anything to add uh, off of that last little? Thing we talked about no i think i've said my piece on on all of this you did i, I, I think feel like i'm pretty clear where you stand i i think it's a a, a situation where we all it's like a venn diagram mm -hmm. looking at our three screens on on our <laughs> recording thing it's like mm -hmm. it's like they're it's like they crossed over you mm -hmm. guys are a little bit more crossed over than i am but there is a a point in the middle where all three of us agree to a certain extent mm -hmm. sure so, cool. yeah well, you know, we talked about all these crazy theories that we've discussed. So some of those may have been our favorites that we've discussed, and some of them Never may not. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break because um, we spent much longer on that segment than I thought we were going to. Hey, it's our it's anniversary. anniversary. That's oh, right. Stop that, Jinx. <laughs> uh, we could do what we want. We're so going to uh, celebrate. Yeah, and while we celebrate, uh, we're going to take a break and then come back and relive our three each of our three favorite theories we've covered don't go anywhere except you can just come back later all right uh, we're back, guys. I did not have enough partying. Did you? No. Nope. Uh, maybe. We'll have to do some know. more later. Okay, so um, we're going to count down our top three best, most favorite covered theories. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're like the most genius, just maybe the most thought-provoking or most fun to discuss or most memorable. Uh, and I'm excited to see what you guys picked. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll just start with number three. And um, if nobody else minds, I'm going to call on Michael because Michael's probably the most prepared out of all of us. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I prepared by choosing three theories, but I hadn't put them in order yet. So I'm going to okay. just do that really quickly in my mind. I have okay. mine in um, order. Oh, go, so, Laura, you go first. No, Sorry, Michael. Okay. okay my number three is Are Stranger Things, Parks and Rec, and the X Files <sighs> set in the same universe? 
<laughs> that was so much fun. That was so much fun. And I think no, it's just it because those are IPs that everyone really likes enough to just be like, sure, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's fine. And just mm -hmm. not even try to dispute it. <laughs> 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 and they're, they're absurd to put together, which is also fun for people to just be like, that'd be fun if those were together. So yeah, but, yeah, yeah let's, let's don't poke a hole in that. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, which I think for me, the, what was so enjoyable about it was like how you could actually like just on the surface, really kind of make it work based on the evidence that was provided, like the, the JJ diner. Steiner. Yeah, yeah, it was, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I know, and I can see like JJ that owns it and like tells mm. Leslie, "No, you really are my favorite customer. You've spent thousands of dollars on waffles, like mm -hmm. just <laughs> like those kinds of things happening in the X Files. That's just really funny to me." Okay. <laughs> All right, Michael, what about you? What's your number okay, three? Okay, so my number three um, is actually the one that was called Why Does Wolverine Wear Bright Yellow Spandex? Wow, that's an early one. It, it was an earlier one, and I think the reason why I liked it is because it provides a depth to the character of Wolverine that we don't typically see in a lot of media involving him. Mm -hmm. it, we see a lot of the like angry slash slash uh, I'm angry again slash slash you know yeah. that kind of thing but it provides a humanity to his character that is otherwise kind of an animal and, and that's yeah. one of his main characteristics you know it basically for those that, that haven't listened go back and listen to the episode but just a, a quick summary is that he, he wears the bright yellow spandex because he wants to draw all the attention to himself in the battles to, so it's not directed towards the teenagers, the other X-Men that he's fighting with. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to become the target. Um, and to me, I just, that that was a really special one. I, I actually got a little bit emotional thinking about it uh, mm -hmm. when we were originally doing this because it's, it's just, I, I love that somebody who's so gruff and angry all the time and just is like this big, bad, tough character has a softer side to himself. And yeah. it's, it's just, this is his way of expressing that he's mm -hmm. not going to go up and give somebody a big hug and like be all laughing and, and happy and stuff all the time. But this is how he shows that he, like I said before, has that humanity to him. So yeah, that's my number three. Yes. All right. My number three as fun um it was why do these scranton employees act so bizarre in later seasons of the office um and it's just through radon poisoning whatever was was the uh, <laughs> yeah. was the explanation and yeah. um what i re really liked about it was it really identified this need for me to have an explanation of why do the Scranton employees act so bizarre in later seasons of The Office <laughs> is one of the things that Laura and I have kind of been talking about because we've watched through Parks and Rec again. And like, I used to be all in on The Office and like, oh, Parks and Rec is okay, but Office is, you know, superior. And I've completely switched sides on that. Um, and I'm surprised by myself just because like, <laughs> you know, when you look at consistency in character arcs and storytelling and plot, uh, Parks and Rec has it. Sure, some of the characters do like kind of go 
overboard on certain things, but I feel like everything that they do as the show goes on, as the show progresses, is still part of their core character, still makes sense, and I'm able to be like, okay, well, even though this is crazy, it's to like, look at the context, this is still John Ralphio, um, still the most annoying character on the show, and, um, you know, Tom doing stuff, it's like, Tom is silly, but it's still Tom, whereas, like, you start look at where Kevin started in the even like he was pretty dull as pointed out in that theory at some point he's trying to glue a turtle shell back together to save its life come on like that that's he's, he's not, not that, that dumb yeah he's not that dumb so um yeah I just like talking about that and um realizing how crazy they really do get and what's the cause radon poisoning of course <laughs> <laughs> all right Let's move on to number two. Uh, who wants to start with number two? Do Michael. we want to just go in the same order? Or? Okay, Laura, you go. Okay, uh, my number two is, does the Adams Family from 1991 feature a ritual to return Fester to his corporeal form? Mm. Uh, I, I'm really picking these because they're about subject matter that I really like. Mm -hmm. uh, at least these first, number three and number two are. I think I can guess your number one. Really love... <laughs> I've always loved the Adams Family movies since I was a kid. I love Raul Julia and uh, Angelica Houston in those roles. Christopher Lloyd as Fester. I mm -hmm. mean, so much fun. But then um, it was, I never knew how there was a rewrite in the middle of filming this movie and that this fan theory completely covers for the rewrite to make it make sense. I really like the way it works and uh that that was what was so fun to me so it enhanced my viewing experience of the movie so mm -hmm. that's why i really like this theory and uh that's why it's my number two yeah i was blown away because i was like i didn't wasn't wasn't really invested in the story of the show or the movie but just the way it was explained and the way you kind of clarified some things yeah. like okay this is totally plausible mm -hmm. i don't remember what i rated it but you know yeah and Going off of that point, I think that the top three that I chose were all for that same reason that for me, they enhanced the story more than mm -hmm. I already enjoyed them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's great. So what's your number two? My number two is, um, did Bernard the elf kill the <laughs> original Santa? That was a good one. <laughs> I absolutely loved that theory um, mm -hmm. because for me it it added an, an entirely different element to that story and a di completely different perspective on certain characters and it just like I already enjoyed the Santa Claus movies but for me it makes them so much more enjoyable just thinking about the possibility of this being true because I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly that I rated this one genius mm -hmm. and it just it adds to the to the original for me. It just builds on that and and makes it even better. Cool. Yeah, it was a good one. So when I when I'm choosing mine, I think more not necessarily about if it's replaced my um, canon, but just like how fun it was to talk about or like um, to envision these things actually being real. Mm -hmm. And so my number two was, is Footloose a prequel to Tremors? <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to choose that one. <laughs> it's just so much fun to think about. And it has our favorite piece of evidence ever of it's the same actor, so they must be connected. Um, 
And it's just funny to think about, oh, we can't dance because, you know, you'll, you'll attract <laughs> the monsters. <laughs> um, I can't watch either of those, which I probably won't. But even if I did were to watch those movies again, I would not be able to watch them without thinking about the worms. So that's my number two. Good choice. Laura, Laura uh, can I try to guess your number one? Go for it. Uh, you're going to guess it. Is it by Michael's favorite director? Yeah. James Cameron? Yes. Titanic? Yes. The th number one for me is Jack Dawson, a time traveler, sent to stop Rose from jumping <laughs> off the Titanic. <laughs> so because good. there's never been an explanation as to no. why those incorrect statements were written into Jack's dialogue about I think the Michael lake has a, and an the roller coaster. And I don't want to hear that. I like <laughs> this imagined version better, that it's just that those were incorrect things fed to him as far as his time travel or that he's or just the fact that he is from the future when those things exist and mm -hmm. he he slipped up. But it fits within the Cameron verse too that uh, that uh, that also is very fitting of because it didn't it go on to say that rose sense. was like john connor's grandmother or great-grandmother yeah something like that it can it definitely connected the terminator movies yeah <laughs> too titanic <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so yes i i think everybody well i guess not people aren't around me when I'm not talking on the podcast, people who mm. are listening to the podcast right now for the most part. Whenever I'm introducing our podcast to somebody and I'm trying to, as I've explained before, tell people what a fan theory is, mm -hmm. this is the one I tell them about. Me too. I do. It's just, it's such a great <laughs> well, embodiment it's easily of accessible, fan theories. isn't it? Yeah. It's easily accessible mm -hmm. for the general audience minus Michael. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, I would argue that Michael is not the general audience. That's what I was going to say. I would definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm part of the exceptional audience. Aww, <laughs> yeah. Is that the is that the badge they gave you in yep. elementary school? Exceptional audience. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, that's that's why you knew. It's that's mm -hmm. my number one. <laughs> yeah, I would probably put it on my list too if I didn't know you were already going to ruin yours. <laughs> you had to be unique. Mm-hmm. All right, Michael, what's your number one? So when you initially asked me to come up with three fan theories, mm -hmm. my original three were all based in this IP because I, I honestly genuinely love every time we talk about theories involving this uh, series. And I, I had to narrow it down to my favorite of the ones that have been covered. And ironically, this is the one that I have not actually been a part of to ah! talk about. I know. And I haven't gotten to is. share my opinions. Oh, I do too. Um, now that you said that, can I yeah. guess? It's Mary Poppins and Harry Potter. Yeah. So the theory is: Did Mary Poppins attend Hogwarts? And no. I yes, she did. Uh, <laughs> she I didn't did, get to she... share my. I didn't get to share my opinions on this because I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't here for that we episode. Put you my in sister your was corner. here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my sister was here, and um, so which was perfect because. Uh, she is one of the biggest Mary Poppins fans that I've ever met in my life. Um, it was always Mary Poppins stuff growing up. And so I, I'm glad that she was able to talk, especially with you, Lara, about this, because I know you're a huge Mary Poppins fan as well. Yeah. And hearing you guys discuss this, despite Spencer's negativity throughout the episode. No, uh, Spencer's um, realism. <laughs> and um, fact-based opinions. It was... 
it, uh, you just don't know how to have fun. Um, oh, it, it was just ask it, Laura, right, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> um, hearing you two talk about it was <laughs> so much fun for me because I was like, as I was listening to the episode on my own, I was sitting there as if I was part of the conversation, yes. just spouting my thoughts yes. uh, to your remarks and stuff. And um, if if anybody listening wants to know my thoughts on uh, this particular theory. You can join our Patreon and see on Discord because yeah. I that have the biggest expressed them ever. <laughs> <laughs> I have expressed them uh, very clearly on on the Patreon. Um, mm. But yeah, I I just this is such a fun theory. Like it's so fun to think about, and it's so perfect. The evidence is it lines up too perfectly there. No. Um, and <laughs> I just I I honestly had so much fun just being an audience member for this. Even uh, not even getting to talk about it. Because uh, it's just it's just such a good theory. Mm. So um, if you're if you are being entertained by my naysaying, but you would like to know what I'm referring to, go listen to the episode. If you have not, I am very fair. I think when rating this theory, I uh, give some credence to it, but not all of it. So go listen to it. Okay. Good job, Michael. Thank you. I'm glad you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite theory that we covered is not, I mean, so I mean, there's some honorable mention, like, of course, I love the Smash Mouth. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That was super fun. That was fun. another good one to listen to. But, <laughs> and of course, I could like pat myself on the back and say that my, my written, my authored theory about Michael Caine and the prestige is the great grandfather or that Alfred you is yourself said that was preposterous. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's still a good theory. Well, if that if that one <laughs> had had not been a farce, then I would have actually put that on my top. Three. It was it was, <laughs> not it, a was farce it was it was you no. it was you taking a shot at Laura and I for liking I theories where people are connected because it's the same actor. No, it was it's a very good theory, and I said that um, I just pressed my own judgment, <laughs> and uh, you did too. Okay. What? And so my favorite, because it has since become my favorite movie, um, I'm, I'm not going to say two. I could say two, but I'm not going to cheat. I really loved it when we talked about the theory that said Bella Royale from the Batman was in cahoots with the Riddler. Mm. Um, because <laughs> that, when we discussed that theory, it wasn't just like, oh, there's no way she's evil. It was like we, we explored all the nuances of what that meant. Like, could she be doing it reluctantly because he kind of like was manipulating her? Could she have been doing it without realizing it, what she was doing? You know? Yeah. Um, and then also discussing, okay, if this does turn out to be true, how does this play out? Like, what are the repercussions of this? What if the public gets a hold of this information that somehow, you know, just exploring that in a future sequel or the like the Penguin series or whatever. Um, just because I love the movie so much. You know what's funny? I think about that meme with Andy and he's like, he's got Buzz Lightyear and then he throws Woody in the trash. He's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. You know what I'm talking about? That's his nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's me with the Batman and the Dark Knight. I've thrown the Dark Knight in the trash. I don't want to play with it anymore. The Batman is the superior <laughs> film. The more I watch, or not watch, but just think about the Batman or the Dark Knight, I, I cringe at some of the rioting. Like one of the police officers, as he's arresting one of the gangster members, literally says, Have a nice trip. See you next fall. What is that? 
Why? Um, <laughs> it's cringy. Um, and I'm only saying this as a former lover of that movie. Uh, now I've seen the light with the Batman. But anyway. Uh, well, and I that was recognize... kind of uncharted territory for was, us of I... such a new movie. Yeah. A fresh that w- movie what... with a theory. Oh, oh! I see what you're saying. It, it was yeah. just so recently released when we That's did true. that theory. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. very. It was a very special circumstance to be doing that theory as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. And then, of course, we did the theory where it was like that the Batman is a prequel to the 1960s Batman. <laughs> that was a lot of fun too. <laughs> but anyway, um, that was fun because I love Batman, and um, we have more. We've covered Batman a lot, and we've got plenty more in the pipeline to cover. There'll be no shortage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll stop talking now so that we can move on. How about that? <laughs> move on or wrap up? Well, so no Fan Theory Queries episode will be complete without me enlightening you and sharing uh... some some fascinating behind-the-scenes details. You've missed this, haven't you, Michael? I <laughs> Oh, how much I have not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, He's I, been I, banking I, up this stuff. So. <laughs> All right, okay, here we go. So no Fan Theory Queries episode will be complete without a fascinating movie detail that um, I've come across on Reddit. As Laura knows, as mentioned, I have been banking these and Michael has been waited on bated breath. Is that the right phrase? Waiting uh, with bated breath? Yeah, for me to uh, share this information, especially regarding one of his favorite properties, the MCU. Ooh. Um, I bet you didn't know this, Michael. You know everything about Marvel <laughs> movies. But in Eternals, Fuzzy Dice 99 points out that Harry Styles shows up and walks toward the camera. This is because he only knows one direction. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Did you know that? I get it. I get That's it. Fair. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a good one. That's so punny. You, you so punny. Very good. Okay. Well, I think that this has been quite, quite enough here. (laughs) Yeah. Happy anniversary. Yay. Happy anniversary. Well, this has been Fan Theory Queries, and I'm Laura. I'm Michael. And I'm Spencer. In our next episode, we ask, in the Magic School Bus, why does Arnold really hate field trips? Subscribe to Fan Theory Queries so you don't miss out on that and other fascinating fan theories.